lots and lots of spoilers. When the flick bites, when the show sucks, when I want to puke, I simply remember my favorite films, and then I don't feel so close to being sued for copyright infringement. We'll swerve instead into another episode of Max Mike Movies series, some of our favorite things where we take it easy and just relax with some of our old favorite things. <clears throat> and viciously rake them over the coals of criticism. <laughs> <laughs> Does it hurt? Does yes. it hurt? Oh, don't pass out on me now. <laughs> or we'll just try to convince you why we like them so much. Standing in for the muscular, manly Max Levine is... Max Levine. Standing in front of Max Levine, blocking his view and generally hey, a nuisance of himself is Mike Get out of the way! What? <laughs> Can't see! What? Down in front! What? <laughs> My fault you're freakishly tall! Yeah. Huh? Oh, hat. <laughs> uh, yes. Me, Mike Luce, which is me, and what I am, and what I is too. Welcome to our show where movies are currency and Max and I are deeply in debt. This week, we've watched and will now comment on a movie we've both seen at least once... 1972's Peter Bogdanovich extravaganza, What's Up, Doc? It's a film about war and suffering, love and song, what? or it's a movie about four pieces of luggage. You'll find out. Thank but God, before... I thought I watched the wrong movie. <laughs> you might have. But before we get to the movie, we have a little business to take care of. Business, it, yes? Business. Hey, hey, follow us. Follow, 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 because we are leading, leading, leading on social media, media, media. We are on that uh, uh, Spotify thing at uh, Max yep. Mike Movies. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We are Max Mike Movies. We are we on are... fire. Oh, God, I'm on fire! <laughs> we are we are on the web. We are at MaxMikeMovies.com. We are on the email. Email us directly. Give us ideas, comments. Tell us we're wrong. Tell us we're right. Uh, send us coffee coupons, whatever those are. Uh, you can send I'm those very to badly us. burned. <laughs> Get some water. Uh. Us at MaxMikeMovies.com. But... <laughs> And while you're out there, send us a new Max. It seems we've um, we've this burnt the old one. This one's broken. <laughs> right. So the show. Yep, this was one of your favorite things. Yes, you it, chose this one. It is one of my favorite films. This film. Well, we'll get to this yeah, film. Yeah, but but let's talk about first, trivia first. Trivia. Get trivial. Trivia. This film did amazingly well. Especially considering 1972 was kind of a big year for movies. You might remember um, oh, yeah. The Godfather, anyone? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a little indie film. I didn't think that got much play. Yeah, that Italian film. <laughs> uh, this movie, What's Up, Doc, came in number three for the year, behind that and The Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> wow, one of these things is not like the others. Yeah, I think it's Shelley Winters. There's got um, to be a morning after. That's not from the Poseidon Adventure. Yes, it is. That was it the is? theme. Oh, yeah, oh. that was the lo the haunting love theme from the Poseidon Adventure. Oh, I kid scary. you not. Look it up. Hmm. I knew it came from something. I just wouldn't have guessed that. I yeah. thought it was love theme from Running Man. Oh, well. <laughs> the budget was $4 million. Good Lord. The take 
was $66 million. <laughs> I'd say that qualifies as success. I'm yeah. surprised we didn't see What's Up Docs th- 3 through 90. Yeah, um, it was, yeah, that was, and here's an interesting thing. Uh, in an odd turn of Hollywood, because they don't do this, this movie was re-released twice. Oh. Once in 1973 and once in 1975, and doing this earned them an extra $9 million, which oh. for a re-release is kind of huge, because it would still have done more than twice its budget. Pretty impressive. Well, and it's interesting to me, because most people I know of don't know this movie. Really? Yeah. I, yeah, it's true. A lot of people I know have heard of it, or mm-hmm. have some vague mo- memory of like coming across a scene on TV, yeah. but I don't. yeah, I don't know a whole lot of people who've actually sat down and watched it. Many, many times. Believe it or not, and I did not know this, What's Up Doc is the first movie, the first American movie anyway, where stunt people appear in the credits. Oh, Br- Britain would them, do this till 1979. Yeah. Because, boy, they earned their money. Yeah, they sure do. Uh, this movie is heavily influenced by a lot of 1930s screwball comedies, most notably Bringing Up Baby, which oh, yeah. not only shares the word up in the title, but also stars a leopard. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Wait a minute. Where, where was it's the a... leopard in this movie? No, no, no. Uh, bringing up baby. Yes, but where, but you said it also stars a leopard, as in implying that, no. that what's up, Doc? Stars a leopard. Bringing up. Baby I've run shares... rings around you semantically. <laughs> Go back to being burned. Uh, ow! 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 Uh, this movie does. Wait, if I those smell who don't... delicious. <laughs> Are you crispy and tender? <laughs> I really am, but I'm also, I think, moist and juicy. Mm. Uh, I gotta get a, hang so... on. I gotta get a knife and fork. Please enjoy the moist and juicy Max Levine if you can. <laughs> yeah, we'll get through this film. Um, so this film does star Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. This would be the first of at least two of their outings. Um, to illustrate Barbara Streisand's character's string of bad luck, there's a car crash in the opening of the movie that's caused just by her walking across the street. This was not in the script and was improvised by renting two cars and making sure that collision insurance was added on. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was an accident. Okay. <laughs> Both of them? Yeah. Okay. The chase scene, the greatest chase scene in any movie ever, okay. was, was sort of, sort of, very sort of, a parody of the second best chase film in, every, in, in any film ever from Bullet. Yeah, another one that takes place in San Francisco. Yeah, well, this... I know, otherwise, it's like, really? Okay. This scene, this chase scene, cost one quarter of the entire budget of the film and took almost 20 days to get down on (laughs) Sally. Wow. Yeah. I believe it. And I have yet to see another car chase I think is better. I've seen the bullet one, and honestly, I don't think it's better. Oh, come on. What about the French Connection? Even the French Connection. I do like the French Connection one very much, but there's a lot of it where he's just underneath the subway. This takes you all over San Francisco. Okay, what about Ronin? And and Ronin. There's a wow. lot of... Yeah, just, I mean, just the different elements that are involved. I mean, we have a giant sheet of glass. You know what's going to happen to it, but still the way they do it is great. It, yeah, admittedly, the way it actually gets broken is very is much more imaginative than, you know, where... Because that's an ancient gag. That goes yes. way back. Well, it also, as soon as you see the glass, you know something's going to happen. It's just oh, yeah. not exactly what you think. They go through Chinese New Year for no particular reason. Yep. Um, and the, we'll get into it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, nearly the entire soundtrack was made up of music by Cole Porter, including You're at the Top, Anything Goes, and Night and Day. Some of this music is literally just the music playing in the elevators, but <laughs> it's throughout the whole movie. 
Uh, however, the song being played during Chinese New Year's <laughs> Parade is, yep. in fact, La Cucaracha. <laughs> I'm sure we should be offended by that, but it's just so damn funny. There's absolutely no explanation for this. And uh, the folks in the parade are, they're playing it on these walking xylophone glockenspiel things, but it is definitely La <laughs> yeah, Cucaracha. Bell racks, yeah. Yeah. In that scene, by the way, I'd never noticed before, this little girl on the side turns and looks directly into the camera. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. Liam Dunn, who plays... Um, the judge at the end of the film, I'll, I'll try and skirt around that issue, but uh-huh. he plays a judge, was before this mostly a casting director. Apparently he learned something from his his um, hirees, <laughs> I guess, because he's great. And he shows up, he'll do other movies after this. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was a surprise. Uh, somehow, Sylvester Stallone is in this movie. <laughs> yes. Way in the back, out of focus, and nearly impossible to see, but he's apparently in it. <laughs> Yeah, he's an extra. He's walking away from the camera. You wouldn't. You would never know unless they told you. Nope. Um, and as I promised last week, this film is very connected to the movie we reviewed last week, Casablanca. Streisand sings as time goes by, and she impersonates Bogart's role from that same film. See, told you. Connected. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Bogdanovich is obviously a fan of the song "You're the Top." His he'd use it again a few years later in a. Strange Experiment called At oh, Long dear. Last Love, which oh. starred Burt Reynolds and one of this film stars, Madeline Kahn. For some reason in that film, Bogdanovich insisted that all singing and dancing numbers be recorded live with no overdubbing. <laughs> <laughs> Remember what I just said, folks? Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Best, that, uh, he was in another musical. He was in Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Only yeah. they didn't really try to make him sing. He more sort of recites. No. Um, you know, yeah. he's, he's at, best known for his singing and dancing. Well, at, isn't, at Long Last Love, I forgot if it won, but it was certainly nominated in the Golden Turkey Awards for Worst Movie Musical Ever. Yeah. and Of it's course, most... this was before Cats! Cats! <laughs> and I actually tried to watch At Long Last Love, which you can't rent, and <laughs> which uh. you cannot find on streaming services. <laughs> They're but trying to protect you! <laughs> It is on YouTube. I try to watch it, and honestly, it was just dull. Uh, um, the singing and dancing was, like, obviously not perfect, and it is kind of, like, there's there's footsteps are kind of loud, because they're, they're stomping about the way you usually don't hear. Um, it's Sybil Shepard and Burt Reynolds in a movie that will surprise you. <laughs> but it's honestly, like, I didn't get more than about 20 minutes, and it was really pretty just dull. And I think it was, again, Bogdanovich was trying to resurrect something. In this case, the hit musicals from the 30s and 40s. Uh, uh, quick uh, quick note, didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kenneth Mars, the brilliant Kenneth Mars. Oh, Kenneth Mars. His dialogue was mostly ad lib, showing what a great actor he can be. Apparently, wow. he was doing an impression of... Um, um, some members of Bogdanovich's family, because uh, Bogdanovich comes from his family comes from Eastern Europe, so he was Serbo-Croatian, sort of, yeah, yeah. Back so when that was, was a thing, yeah. So he was sort of making fun of of that. Uh, otherwise, it's uh, the trivia mostly had to do with various places they used in San Francisco, which we'll get to. Um, there actually is a website. I, I didn't write the, the name of it down, but there is a website where you can actually go and see all of the places that were in this film in current day. Oh, um, wow. Some of them have not changed. Uh, some 
damage they've done has not been fixed. Yeah, the drive wasn't it that when they drive the cars down those long stone stairs, yep. which they did not have a permit to do, or it wasn't uh, explicit in the uh, permit they got, which caused the city to change the laws. Yeah, that said that okay, yeah, you can have a permit, but you have to tell us scene by scene what you're going to do in our city. Yeah, because they didn't, and there are four cars launch themselves down these stone stairs, which are, shall we say, not meant to be driven on. And And apparently uh, the damage is still visible. Yeah. Oh, you you can see it in the film. You can see them taking (laughs) chunks out of these stairs. Yeah. So, but yeah, I thought it was wonderful. There apparently are fans of this film and they're like, hey, here's what used to be this hotel and here's the stairs and here's Lombard Street, which is the curvy street. Um, And you can go pretty much everywhere that they went. Uh, The biggest... I'm going to say the biggest point of fiction in this film is that during the chase scene, there's almost no traffic. Yeah, there's nobody on the roads. There's like eight cars, maybe. And you only know that because they run into each other. Yeah, apparently they all went to Chinese New Year. Like everybody, (laughs) the entire town. Um, actually, there's one tiny little bit of trivia. I don't know why I didn't put it in there, because it's it's one of the better known ones. Uh, there's a scene during the chase scene where all four cars involved in the chase run into a VW bug van. Oh, yeah. Uh, not bug, just a VW van. And they cause it to flatten, um, although it remains upright somehow. Then a man comes out, goes to open the door, and the whole thing falls over. That man was a well-known athlete named Jim Fix. Oh, um, the jogger. Yeah. Or the runner, uh, he, excuse me. He became like the patron saint of jogging. Right. And then and dropped he, dead of a heart attack at 44. Shh. And <laughs> jogging is good for you. Go do some. <laughs> um, <laughs> my heart. Too old. <laughs> oh, God. Nah. Come on. That's way too obscure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he, uh, I don't know why it's him, but it's him. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I think probably most people don't even know who Jim Fix was. I think he died in the 70s. So There are a couple of other odd cameos in that movie. The kid that the long-haired kid that uh, Judy steals the bike from, mm-hmm. yep. that's uh, that's Ryan O'Neill's son. Mm. And on the plane, when Judy is talking to a woman who is clearly wearing headphones and not listening, that's Ryan O'Neill's mother. Yeah. Uh, There's also a little bit of a sort of Blazing Saddles pre-union in this movie. I would call it a reunion, but Blazing Saddles wasn't released until two years later. But uh, Madeline Kahn, John Hillerman, and Liam Dunn are all who are all in this movie are all in that movie. Interesting. You know, huh. Yeah, John, John Hillerman is the hotel manager in this. Again, he gets one scene, but he just walks away with it. He and, does. Uh, yes, and in the in Blazing Saddles, he's Howard Johnson, as in Howard <laughs> Johnson is right. And Liam Dunn, who's the judge, is also the Reverend Johnson in uh, Blazing Saddles. Ah. Uh, other than that, most of the trivia was, again, just, hey, this took place here, this took place there, yeah. and so mm-hmm. on and so forth, uh, you know, bringing up baby, blah, 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 blah. Uh, now we get to the plot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the story of four pieces of identical luggage and how they meet, how they're torn apart, and how, through inestimable odds, they're mm-hmm. brought back together. We could call them Bob, Carol, Ted, and Alice, but for this tale, they merely represent us, the audience. Okay, so it's kind of more than that. But there is luggage, and it is important, and most amazingly, they are identical. The first bag contains secret documents taken by an unnamed whistleblower. He is being stalked by someone from the FBI who wants to know whom he's going to give them to. The second bag has rock samples used to define a theory about primitive man's first attempts at music. 
The third bag has nothing more than a young woman's unmentionable, so we won't mention any more than that. The last bag has a near priceless collection of ju- uh, costume. I mean, amazing <laughs> jewelry. Uh, yeah, yeah, very real-looking jewelry. <laughs> The owners of these four bags, independently and unknowingly of each other, wind up at the same hotel. On the same floor. On the same floor. <laughs> 17th floor. Yep. Hijinks ensue and culminate in one of, as I said, the most amazing car chase scenes <laughs> ever filmed. It's wacky, it's zany, and madcap, and there are indeed monkey shines. Zoot alor. <laughs> That's honestly enough of the plot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's also this odd screwball comedy love story going on between sure. uh, How- Howard Bannister, played by Ryan O'Neill, and Judy Maxwell, who is played by the by Barbara, excuse me, La Barbara. Babs. Babs Streisand. This yeah. was before, admittedly, she was the Barbara. Right. And uh, I mean, of course, she sang. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, she was... You know, known, but she wasn't the, let's face it, musical icon she became. No. And uh, Howard Bannister is currently, is at the time engaged to Madeline Kahn, who, (laughs) this is her first movie, and every scene she's in, it's her movie. (laughs) Every single time. She is, my God, you can really see why her career took off like that. Yeah. She is so funny. She really is. That was She's, a real blow, having her die so young. Yeah, absolutely hilarious. And I want to say that there's really not a bad performance in this film. I and mean, we're not looking at, like, high drama. We're not looking at the breadth of human understanding. It's a comedy, but everybody, even Ryan O'Neill, who apparently <laughs> is... Um, yeah, look him up. He, um, yeah, Ryan O'Neill is so wooden, you expect him to get Dutch Elm disease. But he's perfect. He does a good job in this. Right, this was his only real success before this was Love Story, which he actually right. riffs on at the very end of the movie. <laughs> yes, he does, and brilliantly. But he was, and he's not a comedian. He's not a comic actor. Nope. But he nails this. He's mostly, for the most part, he's the straight man in this. But sometimes he is really funny. I mean, even just when things are spiraling out of control, he does this take directly to the camera and just goes, "Help." <laughs> yeah, and I think I don't I think I read somewhere that um Bogdanovich has a thing about breaking the fourth wall and uh, uh yeah. He's a straight man. He gets a few lines and this is a film that Max and I have been quoting for decades. Oh, it's yeah. got so many good lines in it. Um it has some really uh small performances by people who would become big, some of whom would become big and become somewhat infamous. Um, and I'm looking at you, Randy Quaid. Um, <laughs> if you blink, you'll miss him. Yeah, he's and, in it. He looks like he's about 17. Yeah. And, and M. Emmett Walsh is the cop in the uh, courtroom. That's the guy, the captain from Blade Runner and right, many, 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 many other things. Apparently he's big on cops, but, you know. Uh, we have... John Biner, who is, I would say, arguably really known well in the 70s. He did a lot of TV. Um, He was just generally funny. He would mostly guest star. He had a very short-lived show called McNamara's Band. Um, And, of course, we've talked about him on this show as he was the voice of Gurgi in The Black Cauldron. Yeah, there's that, too. Yeah, Yeah. he did a lot. I think he did a lot of voice work. He could do impressions. Mm -hmm. Um, He was just one of those people would show up and... He was everybody's guest star. Um, and he has, I think, literally two lines in this film. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> one of them, I think, is very USB, and the second of which is, oh, I think I read a monograph on that. Yep, uh, yep. That's it. <laughs> uh, we have a sadly underused actor, I think, which is Austin Pendleton. He plays the amazing uh, Mr. Larrabee, yeah. <laughs> uh, who is the head of some musical foundation. I, the only other film I really know him from is the original Muppet movie. Um, he was, yeah, he was in that. He's done a ton of stuff. I mean, he was in the Searching for Bobby Fisher. Oh, God. Of course, now I'm not going to be able to remember any of them. But Yeah, but he's, for me, he's just, I, I like Austin Pendleton. I don't know why. I just do. Um, we have Barbara Streisand before she's really quite so annoying. Um, for those of you who don't like Barbara Streisand, uh, she would go on to do a bunch of comedies like this she would do the next one i think she did with ryan o'neill was called the main event where he plays a boxer um and she plays his manager somehow but she gets a, this weird perm <laughs> which i don't yeah, understand yeah well um, she had she had a similar hairstyle in the way we were yeah and then she also went on to do one of many remakes of a star is born with uh, chris christopherson which was a big right. deal yeah she she's um, gone on to and she's been in many movies hell she directed prince of tides which was uh, nominated for best picture although she was not nominated for best director but max and i like to remember her best from yentl let's go check out yentl <laughs> I've never actually seen Yentl. <laughs> yeah, me either. Yeah. Um, I want to say, too, this is not usually my my field, but I want to say she's pretty beautiful in this movie. She is really hot. She's, I mean, her face is unusual. Not but, just the nose, but she, her face is slightly asymmetrical, but it's got so much character, and she's got those electric blue eyes. And she bats, there's one point she bats <laughs> them right into the camera, and it's, yep. it's perfect. But yep. her long hair, which she would soon, like, lose and never regain which is a shame because i think her hair was amazing yeah um she's very pretty and yeah. you know I, okay that does not to be to be a requirement but she's funny oh she really is and she and delivers she, her lines like a machine gun <laughs> yep she's very i mean obviously she was playing off like i'm, I'm gonna be a howard hawks character and a right. lot of the dialogue plays that rapid fire back and forth which i assume is what bogdanovich was going for oh because yeah. that was also a marker you know the screwball comedies in the 30s and 40s, uh, and they pull it off. And she I, I, she carries a lot of those scenes. I don't know if Ryan O'Neill would have been as entertaining if he wasn't playing off her. No, not at all. I mean, so they meet. She just sees him and thinks he's cute. Like, that's it. That's their entire relationship. That's it. <laughs> and she wander, he wanders into a the, ho the ho hotel drugstore to get himself some aspirin and she decides to go in there and flirt with him which she does and he is utterly confused because he can't figure out who she is and why she seems to know him although she keeps <laughs> calling him steve for no particular reason <laughs> yep. and then she tries to get uh, him to pay for a clock radio which inexplicably costs 64 dollars um and tells the the man at the counter that it's her husband or no her fiance and this is what starts the screwball well Mostly of what starts the screwball part. And she decides that she's just going to follow him. She has obviously come to town. She doesn't seem to have much money um, because she, she sort of scams her way into a hotel room. Um, and actually spends half the film trying to scam her way into lunch because mm. um, she can't seem to get any food. But yeah, she, she has no money. Yeah, it's no. clear she's a dilettante. She's uh, been to, like, what, eight different colleges. Yeah. She's had all these different majors. She does no focus. Well, as it turns out, we find out she does have a place to stay. She's just trying to avoid it like the yeah, plague. Yeah. 
Um, but of course, Howard is is engaged to the amazingly played <laughs> Eunice Burns, um, Madeline Kahn's character, oh. who is the most uptight and precise persnickety person. And obviously, the reason that they are engaged is because Eunice told him he was. I mean, and the way they establish her character almost instantly. When they're at the curb, coming from the airport, getting into a cab, and she is giving him all these instructions, you got to get this aspirin, and, she, and he's just like, yes, Eunice, yes, Eunice. <laughs> and the cab driver is standing next to them, just staring at her, and she said, she says, would you put the bags in the car? And the cab driver goes, yes, Eunice, exactly the same <laughs> intonation. So it's this like, is a oh. person named Eunice? <laughs> it's like, okay, we know everything about her now. Yeah, it's, you... <clears throat> I have rarely seen characters played so instantly so well. Um, you you meet Kenneth Mars later on. His character's name is Hugh Simon. We instantly know all about Hugh Simon. Yeah, we, we instantly meet, hate him. We instantly hate him. He's obviously full of himself. Uh, he is disdainful of everything and anyone around him except for Mr. Larrabee, but that's only because he's hoping to get money from Mr. Larrabee. Um, there, there's, there's this grant and... Uh, Howard Bannister and Hugh Simon are in town for this musicologist convention, which apparently takes place over dinner, and that's it. Yeah, um, well, and not, not much of a convention, really. No, and they're they're competing for this grant from the Larrabee Foundation. Uh, we know who uh, Howard Bannister is. He is this nebbish who's really more interested in, well, honestly, his rocks than anything else. His igneous rocks. Igneous rocks, yes. <laughs> Um, those are Howard Bannister's rocks. What on earth are you doing with Howard Bannister's rocks? <laughs> I know what you mean, mister. I hate it when my igneous rocks are even touched. See, I told you. Yep, yeah, yep. Um, yeah, and explaining the plot is is both very difficult and kind of pointless, because it's a screwball con comedy. Yeah, just it's everything goes wrong, hijinks ensue. Yeah. None of it really makes sense. Uh, there no. are enormous... You have to make enormous suspensions of disbelief. There are Dickensian-level coincidences, and you don't care. No. You just... No. it. The only way to watch this movie is to sit back and go along for the ride and enjoy. And it literally does start off with... Uh, there's a book. They're showing the credits are in a book and Barbara Streisand singing. And they stop on a drawing of a piece of luggage in a once upon a time there were four identical traveling cases and we start and we follow the cases to see where they are and how they end up at the hotel and howard's got one um uh judy has the another judy has one there's the guy with the documents and one of the elderly uh wealthy guests of the hotel has the fourth and there are plots involving all of them except for judy's actually judy's in the rocks nobody really wants the rocks but they don't nobody involved knows there's more than one case yeah so the guy following the documents eventually gets confused and ends up following something else and somebody who's trying to all steal. the bags get switched up yep and that's what ends up with the car chase. Yeah. Um, it's a jewel it's a thief who was played by Boss Hogg. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. Sorrel Brooks, who is best known, I'm afraid, for playing Boss Hogg on the Dukes of Hazard. Use your charm. Use your charm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And his idea of charming this woman is tripping her. <laughs> over and over again. Um even the woman, know. I'm sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt, but even That's the woman fine. with the jewels, again, this is one of the things about that movie, you instantly know all about her. She's wearing really age-inappropriate clothing. Oh, boy. She, she has this army of people carrying her luggage. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, it's very important. It's not an mm -hmm. army. They're all young men. Yeah, they're all young, strapping men. She's always yeah. got young, 
cool boy types <laughs> hanging around. Uh, and she's wearing like leopard hot shorts. Yep. Yep. Or sleeveless, <laughs> you know, plunging green dresses. Go go boots. Yep. Um, yep. And it's like, okay, wealthy widow. Got it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and the guy running the the front desk, his Fritz, uh, he's we get him. He's the mastermind behind the uh, the the thefts at the hotel. Uh, strangely, the second in command is the house detective. But okay, yeah. yep, they've obviously conspired. They know this woman. They know she travels a lot of jewelry. They decided they're going to rob her, and, and uh, that again, boom. You know, they don't actually ever say anything like ah we know her from all these other visits there's no exposition no which is really nice because it's trusting the audience to figure it out and you can it's not difficult i do have to say the guy with the secret documents it's a little baffling for a long time really until the end is why he has them and it turns out he's he's a whistle yeah he's a whistleblower he wants the public has a right to know Right about That's, what we don't I've, we never find out we don't know what the, these documents are again we don't care and the guy chasing him is the worst <laughs> FBI agent I ha- I've ever seen portrayed in a movie I mean this guy is so utterly incompetent for some reason he's carrying around a golf bag the entire time which does a nothing full but golf he, bag yeah it does nothing except he occasionally just pulls some clubs out and drops them and keeps going because it's, well, it's too, too heavy. heavy yeah yeah. It's all it does is encumber him. It doesn't disguise him because he's carrying it while wearing a full suit. Yeah. And I think the guy, the, the, the document guy, he literally has that one line. The public has a right to know. Yeah. And I think it's dubbed. I don't think we actually even see him oh, say it. Wait, at um, uh, Larrabee's house, I think he orders people to like here, throw the case over here. Yeah, that's right. So he has like one or two lines. Yeah, that's right. it. And it, it may sound like there's all these ridiculous divergent plots. And there are. But they all work together just fine. There's never a moment. In fact, one of the most fun moments is when you, if, when they get to the hotel, everybody's case is where it's supposed to be. This does not last long. No. And the fun part gets to be, okay, which one's that? And you sit there as an audience member, or if you're watching with friends, discussing, wait, who just took, is that the doc? No, that's the jewels. Oh, okay. What room is that? And figuring out, because they can't get, nobody can get the actual case off the 17th floor without being seen. So they keep putting them in different rooms. And uh, then there's this big blow, blow up between um, Eunice and Howard because <laughs> Judy shows up and impersonates Eunice. Um, and the, the worst convention. part is everybody at the convention loves her. Yeah. They're all like saying, oh, Bannister, you're such, you're a lucky guy. And he say doesn't it, know. What's... You're a lucky dog. But I mean, say it. You're a lucky dog. I'm a lucky dog. <laughs> This is not Eunice Burns. <laughs> um, it is a rare comedy that, while it has a love story, it's not trying to inject anything but the fact that it's a comedy. There is no heartfelt moment. There is no montage. There's no terrible misunderstanding between the lovers. There's no... It's basically... Boy meets girl, girl pursues boy, they end up together. There's no, you know, losing each other or... Yeah, nobody breaks a leg, you know, and or, you know, poor Yeller doesn't have to be shot. I know Yelled Yeller was not a comedy. But it seems like <laughs> the time where you could have a comedy that didn't have the sad part has kind of gone. Like, they didn't trust people writing it or acting it to just be funny the entire time. Um, 
The film was uh, had a, a few script writers, most notably was Buck Henry. Buck Henry! Buck Henry uh, was at uh. one point the most often guest hosting of Saturday Night Live, but his his record's long been passed. I think it, he yeah. stood it like 14 or 15 times. Something like um, that. He got way surpassed by Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin. Yeah, I thought even uh, Tom Hanks might have... Uh, maybe, him, but, maybe. But uh, Buck Henry was really more known as a writer, and he was involved with... I think it's probably his biggest show that he helped create was Get Smart from the 60s. But um, his hand was in a lot of things. He was a major comedy writer. Hell, he was in a man, The Man Who Fell to Earth with David Bowie. He was in Here Comes Mr. Jordan. that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but he was... He helped get this thing to be the point where it could just be funny and we didn't have to have melodrama, which yeah. is great. Um, and, you know, even these these plots that involve things like, you know, government, do- secret do- government documents that who knows what they say. I, I have never even wanted to still frame on the on the movie to see what they say. I don't care. It does, mm-hmm. It's not important. Uh, Mrs. Van Hoskins uh, and her jewelry... <laughs> <laughs> robbers thieves robbers thieves her, her bag gets stolen and she finds out and the next morning she just comes down to the lobby in her nightgown and she falls to the floor and starts smashing it with her hands just going robbers thieves robbers thieves and people just sort of stand around her staring um and she realizes that no one is leaping to her aid and she just stops yeah <laughs> so she's you know i think she probably would like it if some some pool boys showed yeah up, yeah but, uh, tried to comfort her right uh and slowly during all of this uh howard is led to realize that you know maybe eunice isn't the only woman in the world i'm you not get, sure he knew that <laughs> you get the feeling that he just you know she probably initiated everything he's so passive and he's so i mean he's very much the absent-minded professor he barely remembers where he is most of the time yeah i mean to the point at some points where it's just absurd yeah and obviously, he doesn't know that he looks like Ryan O'Neill. <laughs> right. And at one point, he comes back from the musicology convention or the dinner or whatever, and he gets down to his boxer shorts, and it's like, oh, Gloria's had her hand in the hormone jar. <laughs> yeah, he's just he can't get his bow tie off. He's yeah. down in his underwear and his bow tie, and I'm thinking, oh, look, the Chippendales are in town. Yeah. Because uh, uh, he is, look, whatever else you want to say about Ryan O'Neill, he's a good-looking man. He is, and he's pretty buff for this role um, in a very yeah. 70s sort of way. He's and not nice, like a bodybuilder. Yeah, the nice thing about the character is clearly he has no idea. He has no, no. idea how good looking he is. No, I'm sure and, Eunice says, and between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., you will go to the gym and you will do this many reps. <laughs> yes, Eunice. Yes, Eunice. <laughs> or maybe he's just that way from carrying all those rocks around. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing. So the, the, the two theories of... Uh, that are vying for this grant are Howard Bannister thinks that primitive cavemen used to bang rocks together to make music, and he sits there with a tuning fork, like listening to his rocks and how what different tones they make. And Hugh Simon's theory is this theory about yodeling and yeah, like 16th, 17th century composers. Both of the theories are absurd. They're things you would see at the Ignoble Awards, but uh, apparently. Yeah, I, this is probably a very good indication of academia, wouldn't you say? That? Yeah, I'm afraid so. Um, you know, I, go ahead. It just uh, one other thing about uh, Kenneth Mars playing uh, Hugh Simon, who is again he is hilarious. He is. Uh, what you were saying that he's that it was uh, believed that he was like making fun of Peter Bogdanovich's family, or actually helping Peter Bogdanovich make fun of his family. Yeah. There's another theory that 
the character was based loosely on the theater and later film critic John Simon. Right. I don't know how much I buy that, because I don't think Simon was quite that flamboyant. But he was nasty. He was this yeah. acerbic... Can I, can I tell the story about Richard III? Oh, by all means. This, is, this was relayed to me by a professor friend of mine from Boston College, a professor of history, and so you know it's true, don't dispute me. <laughs> uh, there was in whatever the heck magazine, I think it was the New Yorker or the New York Times, whatever, he, when uh, Simon was a theater critic, he was, there were two separate productions of Richard III on Broadway. One was starring Michael Rappaport, and the other was starring Al Pacino. And Simon reviewed both of them in the same issue, and he ran them side net one right after the other and the first one the one about michael rapaport he just savages him he just rips him apart no sorry i mean excuse me it was the al pacino he rips him apart he just said you know al pacino had no business doing shakespeare just savaged him mm-hmm. then you turn the page to see the michael rapaport review and the headline was come home al pacino all is forgiven Oh yeah! Ouch! Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That gives you an idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, if they were making fun of him, good for them. It wouldn't yeah. be the last time. We talked about this too. Uh, what famous? Oh, Kale. Yeah, uh, Pauline Kale. Pauline or, or, Kale was the name of one of the bad guys in Willow. <laughs> right, and the two-headed monster was the Eber Sisk. <laughs> right, which is you know, Eber shot. Guaranteed to not like. Uh, Willow, which I don't remember yeah. if they did or not, but boy, that was a long time ago. Um, that was our D and D series, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, the, the, we're talking about Howard and how how he is, and I was such a straight man. I do like there is, as you say, there isn't a, a melodrama, but there's a moment where he changes. There, and I kind of, I really like that. I didn't notice that. I didn't pay as much attention to it until this viewing. And I've seen this movie like you a number of times. I don't uh. think as many times as you. But I've seen it a few times. When they're in the ballroom, and Barbara, uh, Judy is impersonating Eunice, <laughs> and Eunice bursts in, and the way the entrance of tiny little Madeline Kahn screaming and in effect dragging three men who are trying to restrain her but can't. Who is this dangerously unbalanced woman? woman? And he just looks at her and gets this weird expression and just says, I've never seen her before in my life. And then Barbara Streisand blinks right back at him. Yep, and that is the moment where suddenly his world has changed and he's his world's opened up. It's like, wait a minute, maybe this isn't the be-all and end-all of my life. Yeah, but then he... Well, he, the thing is, is that because everybody likes Judy portraying Eunice more than he knows anybody would like Eunice, yeah. uh, it seems pretty obvious. In fact, um, I believe that Mr. Larrabee at one point says, if you win the grant, you can It'll count it. It'll be because of her, yeah. Right, so he doesn't want to give her away as her having... Um, impersonated Eunice and and of course Howard not having told anybody but later on uh, he does win the grant and somehow Judy just happens to come across the telegram before he does um, she somehow gets him to the penthouse of the hotel which is one of the points in the movie where it's like well how did that happen yeah that just he pushed the wrong he pushed a button for the lobby and it took him to the roof 
Well, what happens is the 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 elevator was going up, not down. And oh, its next oh. stop was her. She had pushed it. But how would she know? Eh. Who yeah, cares? yeah. Who cares? And yeah. she's up there. It's a, it's a penthouse room. It's a big... Uh, I'm guessing it's supposed to be a restaurant or something. They're working on it. It's being painted. Uh, there is, for no reason that we can tell, a piano there with a tarp over it to keep the paint off. And he sits down at it. Uh, leans on it, realizes it's a piano, takes off the tarp, and there she is. Yep, she's uh, been sleeping on the piano. Well, either we that think. or she's laying in wait, right? Yeah, Who knows? Maybe. Um, but she mentions, oh, I have the... the oh, this came for you. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> and uh, it's like, it's been open. How else could I have read it? Um, <laughs> and it's all about, oh, today there is a benefit at the uh, Larrabee Foundation, um, or Lar- Mr. Larrabee's home. And you should come, and you've been given the grant, and so on and so forth. And this is where that moment you just talked about kind of changes. Because Howard basically says, okay, now I have a chance. I can now set everybody straight. I can now let them know, I'm sorry I didn't say earlier, but I got the, you know, because he got the grant. This is not Eunice Burns. This is Judy uh, uh, Maxwell. Maxwell. Uh, it, you know, I didn't mean to do anything, but, you know, he figures now that he's got past this, he can set things right. But the moment still stands because Howard has actually done something on his own, right? Mm. So when you pointed out that he's basically decided to go along with the gag and say that he's never met Eunice, the real Eunice, the dangerously unbalanced <laughs> Eunice, um, he has taken a little bit hold of control of his life. And he does it again when he, when Judy's like, oh, okay, you can, yeah, you can go tell them. Um, I'll meet you in the car. I'll be right there. <laughs> she has overheard the jewel thieves talk about where they're going to take the, the jewels to be fenced. Here's the address. She calls up to Madeline Khan or Eunice's room and says, oh, I'm Mr. Larrabee's secretary. Uh, they've changed the luncheon. It's going to be not at his house, but at one of the foundations. It's Do you have a pencil, darling? And she gives him this, this address in Skid Row on the wharf. And so uh, she knows that Eunice is going to be sent off somewhere and... Yeah, you know. unwittingly, she sent her into the arms of a bunch of gangsters. Yeah, <laughs> the, the guy who drives her there in the cab, you don't want me to wait, do you, lady? Uh, yeah, I didn't think so. He leaves. <laughs> yep. And she, it's this, I give points to Madeline Kahn, I assume it's her, but there's this staircase that's literally half hanging onto the side of a building, mm-hmm. and Eunice being Eunice just goes up it. <laughs> yep, yep, doesn't hesitate. This must be the right address. And... As she gets there, the only reason that she can figure out what might be going on and to tie this all together is it turns out that the case of jewels wasn't the case of jewels. It was actually Howard's rocks. And she, to the gangsters, as they're stopped, they are posed like a Renaissance photo of yep, one guy about perfect to stab tableau. Another, yeah, about to stab another guy in the head. I thought he was just like, punching him. Well, yeah, but it's yeah. It, his hand is raised, and it's like yeah. it looks like one of those old biblical paintings. Where, uh, you know, raising the knife over the sacrifice, sure. Right, yeah, and those are Howard. What on earth are you doing with Howard Bannister's rocks? And then as they walk toward her, she starts making these weird little <laughs> noises, <laughs> and it's both disturbing and hilarious. Yeah, I do. Did- it also, you know, you skipped over a bit. We're talking oh. about, you know, how Howard and Judy when went up on the piano. Um, eventually, they start rolling around on the floor together, and it's pretty clear what happens next. Well, of course it does. We get the visual metaphor of the cigar <laughs> dropping in the paint bucket, which, as everyone knows, means <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, yeah. So Howard has, is still 
again, he's in a lot of ways he's kind of mixed up. He does attempt to sort of reconcile with Eunice, but clearly he feels the connection with Judy. Right. And he, it's obvious that he's having a lot of fun, that he's not just uh, because of the sex, but because, you know, she's making him do all these outrageous things. And I think he starts to enjoy it. I think he realizes that life can be something more than rocks and or what Eunice tells you to do, right? Um, and from there, they're going to go on to Mr. Larrabee's house, which is in the very posh section called Russian Hill in San Francisco. I honestly don't think they could afford to shoot there today. Um, but that's when that's near the end of the film, and that's about just before the, the car chase happens. And the car chase is absolutely stunning. Um, and again, one of the reasons is because, unbelievably, there is no traffic in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> and I can see why they it costs them a million dollars to shoot and 20 days to shoot this car chase. Cause it, it goes is very everywhere. involved and... I think there are car chases in movies that are more exciting and more, you know, thrilling. There aren't a lot that are funnier. I I don't know. The bullet one left me dry when I finally watched Bullet. I was like, eh. I mean, it's the cars are fast and it's good driving and stuff, but there's no costume shop. There's no wedding. There's no giant pane of glass. There's no <laughs> Again, Chinese New those Year. are funny. I mean, there's no Chinese New Year where they're playing La Cucaracha and there's no line like... I can't see. Well, there's not much to see. We're inside a Chinese dragon. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so when this film came out, this is 1972. I was seven. <laughs> I have no idea why my parents, or I should say my mom, because I don't think my dad came. I have no idea why my mom took me to see this film. And I'm pretty sure my sister was there. I know she was there at least once. I saw this film as I remember, and of course this is a long time ago, but I remember seeing this film in the theater five times. Wow. <laughs> I adored this film, and I think most of it was the car chase, because I love watching the cars and stuff. But even as a seven or eight-year-old, I thought it was funny. Um, and I had no idea what a screwball comedy was. And to this day, I haven't even seen that many of them. I have seen Bringing Up Baby, which is really funny. It's oh, yeah. uh, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn um, in roles that won't surprise you. Catherine Hepburn is absolutely wonderful. Um, Cary Grant is, is one. They, the leopard's pretty good, too. Um, <laughs> there is actually a leopard. Um, that's yep, Baby. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I don't remember exactly what it's about. I just remember that it all takes place during a one night, I believe. Yeah, uh, he's a he's a paleontologist. She's not. I don't remember the entire plot, but a lot of lot of hijinks. Yeah, and a point of those films too was just to be funny. There's no you know deep yeah. melodrama. It's the same or, things like it happened one night, or yeah. uh, you could make the argument. Well, no, the Philadelphia story isn't really screwball, but uh, it's close. There were a bunch of and the, a lot of the Tracy and Hepburn movies. Would you say the Judy Holiday films fit into that? They were yeah, 50s, definitely. But, yeah, definitely. Which was, um, let's see, Solid Gold Cadillac and uh, Born uh, Yesterday. Born Yesterday, yeah, yeah. Where she's just a ditz, but yep. she's but she's not stupid. No, she's just she's, oddly naive and yeah. very blunt and hilarious. Judy and Holiday like was so damn funny. She was. Those are two yeah. fun films. I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, Solid Gold Cadillac, I think, is in black and white, except for the last scene where you see the Cadillac, and I could be wrong about that. It's been a not really sure. Long Born time. Yesterday, I think, was in black and white. Yeah, their forties yeah. or, or early fifties. Mm. Yeah. Um, but that's all this movie is—is is. it's just meant to be fun, and it is. 
Um, and we could probably go on and on. There's so many lines worth quoting, but some of what just out of context we think are funny. And it's like vocal reverberation under spinal pressure. I mean, you could say that at any party and get an instant. La- okay, no, you wouldn't. No, you couldn't really. <laughs> Even do it. Although after I showed this movie to some friends, every time uh, the wife would give it, uh, like, oh, could you uh, go put this in the in the dishwasher? And the husband would just look at her dead pet and go, "Yes, Eunice." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Again, the performances are all really good. Even if they're short, John Hellerman, yeah, as Max says, just walks away with the center of the film. Um, Ryan O'Neill, Barbara Streisand, Streisand's really good. You like her. Yeah. Um, there is a twist at the end. We usually don't care. And in this case, this film is, what, 48 years old? Yeah. Um, so in in some ways that we we could just say this and it's like, too bad you've had 48 years to watch the film. I'm not going to say what it is. Uh, it's not, it isn't a big twist in terms of it doesn't really affect much of the plot. It's a basically another punchline thrown in. It and is. again, huge Dickensian coincidence, but right. yeah, it's still funny. And it's also like, it, it ties up the last of the loose ends of the film and it has to do with Judy. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Um, the, I read a book, uh, on screenwriting once, and I think it's called Save the Cat. Oh, yeah. And it's about a, it's a book about writing formulaic scripts for Hollywood. And by formulaic, I mean this is what they're looking for and this is what they actually pay for. It doesn't mean that that's what makes good movies. But the guy talks a lot about timing and when the apex of your... Or not, not the apex, but the midpoint of your film should be. And interestingly, he uses this film as an example. And mm. he said that he what he used to do as a screenwriter, is he would make audio tapes of movies and he would listen to them because it turns out his drive to work was an hour and a half. And he would cross, I believe it was the Hollywood Hills, at the um, 45-minute mark. And he noticed one day that one of the only films that would hit its midpoint exactly where a film should hit its midpoint was this film. was What's Up, Doc. Um, And... You know, other than that, the film doesn't really feel timed. It doesn't feel, um, what's the word I want? Uh, I mean, I, it's one of those films you really don't try to think ahead. I mean, I suppose if you thought about it, you might be able to see some of the gags coming. I've never have, and I've, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this film. The pacing um, in the movie is really astonishing. It's really well done. A lot of stuff happens, and they, yet they give you a couple of moments to breathe. Yep. In, in the more romantic scenes or even in some of the where the people breaking into room scenes, things slow down for a little bit, but never for too long. No. And I've seen it so many times, and I keep coming across little tiny things I did never noticed before. In the earliest part of the film where we're in the drugstore, there is one shot where we can see the counter where Howard is at the counter finding out that he's buying a clock radio. What? And we can see out into the hallway of the hotel. And for no reason at all, there's somebody walking by an extra. You'll never notice them. And for some reason, the extra trips and they trip right. I I, I've missed it almost every time I've seen the film. And I I've seen this tens of times and it's funny. There's a guy tripping. Why is it there? I don't know who cares. It's that actually plays into something about why I like this movie. This movie, in a lot of ways, is a type of movie I can't stand. I don't like the everything-goes-wrong movies. Yeah, the everything yeah. works against you. They just make me uncomfortable. Some of them are brilliantly made. I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad. It's just I don't like them. Yeah. This one it works not just because everything goes wrong for Howard and for Judy, but everyone in the movie 
everybody is a huge screw up. Yeah. Even the minor characters. You know, even when uh, the firemen show up <laughs> and they're tripping over each other and knocking the hose out of their hands and everybody in this movie is an idiot. <laughs> Everyone in this movie does something <laughs> dumb. When the cops are chasing them, they screw things up. They fall in the in the bay also. Yep. And it that I think is one of the reasons it's not just that these people are are screw-ups or things happen to them. It's the whole world is on its head. The whole world is just spinning out of control. Did we mention I, that one of the hotel rooms catches fire? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think we're safely at the end of the episode, don't you? I mean, yeah, I think so. I'll probably have cut in our little thing b- before you started this because we're there, and now we we're going to rip this film to shreds because it deserves no, for, no, no. The roundup. It's as Matt said. It's a delightful film. It really is so much fun. It's it's not something that you want if you want like depth and meaning to, but if you want to laugh, this yeah. movie will make you laugh. Age is very well, even though it is very 70s. Thankfully, there's no music in it that would really like... Right, oh, the music the is all Cole Porter. It's all from like... <laughs> and <laughs> and George Gershwin. in the background. There's like, yeah. it's, not, it's like it's supposed to be there, right? It's elevator yep. music, or it's on a radio, or it's La Cucaracha. <laughs> yeah, nobody bursts into song for no reason. Or if, you know, when Barbara Streisand sings uh, As Time Goes By... Howard's right there with a piano, so... Yeah, and one I mean, of the reasons it, that that's in the movie is it's a Warner Brothers movie. Right? Yeah, of course, and also it's Barbara Streisand, and you cannot have Barbara Streisand in a movie and not have her sing. And, of course, people may wonder, why is it called What's Up, Doc? Well, because the movie nearly ends with a Bugs Bunny cartoon. That's yeah. why, yes, there is a Bugs a, Bunny cartoon. Um, a Bugs Bunny cartoon, which, if I'm not mistaken, is, in fact, called What's Up, What's Doc. What's Up, Doc, yep. Yep, that is true. Um, and it's on an airplane and so on and so forth. But and it's a nice touch because this movie is kind of like a live-action cartoon because so much of what happens in it is cartoonish. Yeah, but it's not that frenetic no. Roger Rabbit kind of cartoon. It's actually a lot of this. There's some great action and there's some great slapstick, but a lot of it's really the writing. Um, the way the char- What the characters say, uh, again, infinitely quotable. Even if it's something just so, like simple as, yes, Eunice. I mean, <laughs> uh, I... It'll make you smile. Um, yep. Will this movie play for younger audi- audiences of today? Uh, I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but I delight in it. I, it's. I think it's also going to be hard for people who've never seen this movie, but who know who Barbara Streisand is and knows her, know her as now this figure yeah. of the Barbara. You know, she's like butter. The diva. But yeah. The diva. It's going to be a little hard to see her as. What she was in this movie, which was, in effect, starting out. I don't remember if this was before or after Funny Girl, but... I think uh, think she was actually going out with Bogdanovich at the time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but but this was... She was just another actress with a phenomenal voice. Well, I think she'd been in MAME, hadn't she? Uh, On Broadway, you mean? Because she's not in the movie. No, no, no. no. What is that musical she's in? uh, Let's see. On on the Town is one. Uh, She was in Funny Girl. Uh, um, on the town? No, I'm sorry, not on the town. Hello, Dolly. Excuse me. That was the really famous one. Maybe that's what it is. Hello, Dolly. And I think that's earlier. Funny Girl was '68. Okay. Um, he said, "Not at all." Looking things up in the internet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's only been in 23 films. Weird. Yeah. Um, Funny Girl was '68. Hello, Dolly was '69. 
Uh, she was in some film called On a Clear Day You Can See Forever. I think another musical. <laughs> yeah, uh, this uh, The Owl and the Pussycat. Okay, that was a that I think was a comedy. I'm not sure. I never saw it. Yeah, me either. But uh yeah, then she peaked at Yentl. <laughs> she was in Miami Vice? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she plays pedestrian. Oh, okay. Really? Uncredited. Huh. huh. What if she knew she was in the episode? <laughs> Uh, oh, she was, of course, in Little Fockers. And, um, oh, that's right. That's right. She was yeah. in the, the but, ben, yeah. ben Stiller movies, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's it, There's there's not depth here. There's not meant to be depth. It's no. just fun. Um, it's a type of film we probably won't see again, the screwball comedy. No. Um, there's, we talked about this, but there's a naivete to the film that I think current-day audiences don't trust. Like you, you can't do that in innocence. Um, but and it doesn't follow follow the formula. It doesn't follow... Every comedy nowadays seems to have to have that tragic moment. Right. The, the missile. That, that I think that would ruin this film. Yeah. If you tried to do that. Um, I mean, did you happen to know that I love you? <laughs> that's the best he can do. Yep, that's it. And that's, that's the it. best we can do. Um, but Max, what's the best yeah. you can do for next week? Yeah, we're going in for another comedy, and this is one that has been a big part of my life for my entire life, and I assume everyone on Earth has seen it. If you haven't, I will find you. <laughs> uh, it's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Ah, oh, Holy Grail. If uh, this, the Holy if Grail of movies. If there is one movie that really defines... <sighs> Yeah. 1980s nerds it's this one because <laughs> yeah because nerds like oh we're gonna quote monty python when they quote monty python they don't generally quote the show they quote this yeah, they, just, they, they do the dead sketch. parrot and a few others but, but this is real yeah 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 i mean max and i um used to quote this incessantly <laughs> yeah kind of kind of really more than anybody should have yeah so when you hear like or you see representations of the stereotypical gaming nerd or comic book nerd that's us yeah kind of is kind of is <laughs> but is uh right. well it's not important we're talking about the movie yeah movie, yeah, movie. next week um <laughs> monty python <laughs> <laughs> um, did you know that this film was actually made on a budget of uh, yeah whatever <laughs> someone slapped me <laughs> This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.